0: U.S. investors are often subject to home court bias, meaning they ignore international investment opportunities. Is it worth venturing out? Here's what matters. Live from New York City, I'm Lauren Goodwin, and this is Market Matters from New York Life Investments. In this podcast, we bring you the best insights from across the New York Life Investments platform because we believe that by sharing perspectives and engaging with you, our listeners, we can all become better investors. Welcome, everybody. It's the week of September 26th, 2022, and we've been discussing for many weeks on the podcast the macroeconomic environment. It is tough out there, and volatility in the markets has been up. So it's easy to get very focused in the U.S. in times like these because the Fed and the U.S. economy have an important global role. And frankly, international markets have had several challenges of their own. But in a similar vein, when the going does get tough in the U.S., investors aren't necessarily out of options and international opportunities can play a big role.
1: A bit of background on how our own team considers and handles international exposure in our own investment process. We are global multi-asset allocators, and that means that we structurally hold some allocation to both international developed equity, namely Europe and Japan, as well as emerging markets equity. Those allocations can also adjust based on our cyclical views of those economies and regions. A strengthening and strong US dollar and
0: regular geopolitical events have brought up a lot of attention to asset classes outside the US. To address them, we've called on Carlos Garcia Tunan, Senior Managing Director and Head of Fundamental Equity at Makai Shields to talk through his approach to investing
1: abroad. Carlos, thank you so much for joining us.
2: It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you.
1: All right, Carlos, let's let's kick this off. Can you please just tell us about the geographies and sectors? you invest in as a manager of an international equity portfolio. What does the space mean to you and what can you invest in?
2: So typically speaking, most of the portfolios that we manage are benchmarked against the MSCI All-Country World XUS Index. And that means that we have the flexibility to invest across all sectors and to invest in both developed and emerging markets.
1: So Carlos, both Lauren and I actually started out investing in emerging markets. So we're both familiar with what we'd call the home court bias of many American investors, which for our listeners implies that a lot of Americans tend to invest only in U.S. assets or the majority in U.S. assets. And a lot of the time, they need to be convinced that it's worth diversifying into equities abroad because there are risks there. There's currency risks, as Lauren mentioned. And we're always talking about the potential benefits of diversification. So, Carlos, how do you convince people to take that diversification
2: global? So, there are a few arguments that I would make that I think are compelling in terms of thinking about having an allocation to international equities. Firstly, I would say that 76% of the world's GDP is generated outside of the US, and 80% of the world's listed companies are outside of the US. In addition, I think it's important to remember that international markets don't always move in lockstep with U.S. markets, so they provide diversification benefits. And our team often finds that if we're looking to get exposure to a particular trend in a particular region, the best companies that allow us to invest behind that trend are companies that are located outside of the United States.
0: It's a really good point. The U.S. is a very large economy, but it's not the only economy out there and there are bound to be economic and market opportunities there. Now, against the backdrop of those general benefits, We have to confront the fact that right now, the view from some international economies, Europe, for example, can look quite risky and be subject to the global growth pressure we've been feeling in the U.S. Of particular attention and concern for investors lately has been things like the war in Ukraine or policies that have been enacted by China. What's your current view of international equity just as an asset class?
2: I'd say that we agree with your assessment that the near-term economic outlook is challenging. Europe is faced with the difficult situation in Ukraine and China's economy is struggling to grow due to zero COVID policies and a slowdown in the property sector. That said, we think that valuations more than reflect those near-term economic challenges. International equities have underperformed US equities in 10 of the last 12 calendar years. And international equities are now trading at 11.5 times next 12 months' earnings estimates, while US equities are trading at 17 times next 12 months' earnings estimate. That means that the PE discount on which international equities trade has widened from a 10 year average of 20% to 32% currently. And we think that presents investors with an attractive opportunity to increase their allocations to international equities. Let's
0: take that one step further then. How does your team find the opportunities within international equities? What's your process?
2: So our team employs an investment approach that we call sustainable growth investing. And what we mean by that is that we want to invest in competitively advantaged companies that are likely to experience above average earnings growth backed by long-term secular trends.
0: And what are some of those long-term secular trends? What are the most compelling themes that your team is behind?
2: So some of the most compelling themes that we are investing behind are within the healthcare and technology sectors. In healthcare, we're investing in companies that are benefiting from increased outsourcing of research and manufacturing activities to more specialized providers. And in the technology sector, one of the key trends that we've been investing behind is rising penetration of digital payments, which is driven by regulatory factors, consumer convenience, and the growth of e-commerce.
1: Carlos, you mentioned sustainable growth investing. And I think that most investors at this point are increasingly aware of the ESG risks that companies face. We also know that Europe has really been leading the way when it comes to regulating on the part of ESG when it comes to both companies and investors. So can you speak as an international investor to the ESG profiles of the companies that you study in emerging markets and how the shifting attitudes toward ESG have been affecting your investment philosophy?
2: I'll start by saying that as long term investors, we do believe that ESG factors influence long term financial outcomes. So we carefully review the ESG profiles of the companies that we invest in. And we generally find that corporate governance standards in emerging markets lag those of developed markets. Often we come across emerging market companies where the founder, the chair, the CEO, and the largest shareholder are all the same person, and there are very few checks on that person's power. In emerging markets, we also find that there are many companies that are exposed to unexpected regulatory changes. And as a result of those two factors, it it is difficult for us to find emerging market companies that meet all of our investment criteria. And we currently have an underweight in the emerging markets relative to our benchmark.
0: Carlos, thank you so much for joining us and for sharing your perspective. Now, a bit more on how we think about the international equity environment. During the pandemic and recovery during 2020 and 2021, driving economic forces were primarily global in nature. Most major economies faced a synchronized economic contraction in 2020 because of the pandemic, and then that was met with meaningful fiscal and monetary policy stimulus.
1: Then in 2021, the majority of countries around the world experienced a synchronized recovery from the pandemic and benefiting from all of that stimulus Lauren mentioned.
0: Of course, the major exception to this has been China, which was first in and first out of the early COVID-19 waves and didn't experience the same economic contraction in 2020, which is now quite countercyclical to the U.S. and some of these other international markets. But now, as the post-pandemic recovery has been maturing, we see organic or more differentiated economic and monetary policy adjustments taking hold, and that's resulting in different economic circumstances by country and region. In other words, and as Carlos mentioned, there can be benefits to being not too concentrated in any one given country or region. Coming up next, we're headed into the fourth quarter of 2022. Stay tuned for our updates on the inflation recession trade-off and how U.S. companies are faring via earnings season in the slowing environment. That's it for today. We'll be back next week for more Market Matters. In the meantime, if you have a question or topic of interest, reach out to us on LinkedIn. You can also follow our views at newyorklifeinvestments.com and click the Insights tab. Until then, I'm Lauren Goodwin. And I'm Julia Herman. See you next time. Our podcast is produced by Milo Benamats and our music was composed by the fabulous Zach Young. I will now read our disclosures from compliance past performance is no guarantee of future results, which will vary. All investments are subject to market risk and will fluctuate in value. This material represents an assessment of the market environment as at a specific date is subject to change and is not intended to be a forecast of future events or a guarantee of future results. This information should not be relied upon by the reader as research or investment advice regarding any fund or any issuer security in particular. The strategies discussed are strictly for illustrative and educational purposes and are not a recommendation, offer, or solicitation to buy or sell any securities or to adopt any investment strategy. There's no guarantee that any strategies discussed will be effective. This material contains general information only and does not take into account individual's financial circumstances. This information should not be relied upon as a primary basis for an investment decision. Rather, an assessment should be made as to whether the information is appropriate in individual circumstances, and consideration should be given to talking to a financial advisor before making an investment decision. Impact investing and or environmental, social, and governance, or ESG managers may take into consideration factors beyond traditional financial information to select securities, which could result in relative investment performance deviating from other strategies or broad market benchmarks, depending on whether such sectors or investments are in or out of favor in the market. Further, ESG strategies may rely on certain values-based criteria to eliminate exposures found in similar strategies or broad market benchmarks, which could also result in relative investment performance deviating. Makai Shields is a sub-advisor for some mainstay funds and one of the New York Life investments companies. Not all products and services provided by Mackay Shields may be available to all investors, limited by applicable laws and regulations in certain jurisdictions. Any opinions expressed are the views and opinions of certain investment professionals at Mackay Shields, which are subject to change without notice. No part of this material may be reproduced in any form or referred to in any other publication without the express written permission of Mackay Shields. New York Life Investments is both a service mark and the common trade name of certain investment advisors affiliated with the New York Life Insurance Company. Securities are distributed by Nylife Distributors, LLC, 30 Hudson Street, Jersey City, New Jersey, 07302, a wholly owned subsidiary of New York Life
2: Insurance Company. Nylife Distributors, LLC is a member of FINRA SIPC.